open up our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 3. Thank you, Vanessa, for that time of prayer and prophetic worship. Wasn't that wonderful? That was a blessing, wasn't it? Just want to remind you guys that this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is the healing meetings. I need you to turn down the mains and the monitors for me, please. So I want you guys to be in prayer, asking the cohorts to also pray with us that we can see God move and do a great work. And today, during your breaks, I want you to get the rest of the flyers that we have left and put them out over all the cars and houses in this neighborhood. So that's what your assignment is during the, uh, the break. So Adolfo, do me a favor and get those, uh, the box of flyers ready now for us, please. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, continuing in our series about Zechariah and his um, prophetic message. You learned uh, last week about Emmanuel, God with us. You learned the week before that to return to God. And now you're going to learn another prophetic message from the same, <clears throat> excuse me, the same book. And it's called The Branch. So put that on the top of your title for today, The Branch. Everybody say The Branch. <clears throat> excuse me. The Branch. What's significant about this passage of Scripture that you're about ready to read is this is a passage of Scripture that both Jews and Muslims accept. And so a good question to ask them, and I haven't had the chance to specifically ask them about this passage, is what does this passage mean? Now sometimes Muslims like to squirm around the Bible and say certain things aren't true or text variants, etc. But there's no textual variant in this. This is the words of Zechariah the prophet, one of their, uh, I believe, 27 main prophets. Here it is. I wonder what they would say. Now we know the Jews beyond a shadow of a doubt believe this. This is no doubt the word of God to a Jew. And so here, if you're ever ministering to a Jew or somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, here is one of the best passages to present to them. And if I have time in my studies, I'll learn some of the rebuttals from these passages and try to give them to you as we continue in our study. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, the branch, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, <clears throat> excuse me, Satan standing at his right hand, right side, to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now, the beautiful thing that you just read right there, and I don't know if any of you caught it, is that you just saw the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many think that you just caught the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ right there? Don't be ashamed. Let's do a little class in the preaching. How many think you just caught the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? <clears throat> so... Ellie's shaking his head. Does that mean you caught it, or you're just taking my word that you just heard it? Okay, so raise your hand. How many else caught it? Raise your hand. Okay, so who wants to be brave enough to take a shot at why that proves the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let's start with Chris. Well, let me get the mic to you. Okay, so he raised his hand, but he didn't have an answer. Don't waste our time, my brother, please. Come on. Who has an answer that they can give? Ellie, you raised your hand. Are you going to be able to prove what you raised your hand for before I hand the mic to you? Okay. Well, right here in uh, verse 1, it says the angel of the Lord. And then in verse 2, it said, then the Lord said to Satan. There you go. So who is the angel of the Lord? Who is the angel of the Lord? 
We know Jesus is the angel of the Lord. But in this passage, who takes the title of the angel of the Lord? Did you guys eat your spiritual Wheaties this morning? He just told you. Ellie, you just read it. Who takes the, uh, what title does the angel of the Lord take? The Lord. Don't put things into the scripture that don't belong there. We'll understand that the angel of the Lord is Jesus later. But look at the passage itself. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Which if I had time, I would show you that the angel of the Lord is Jesus. If I had time. But you look right here. It says the angel of the Lord and Satan standing in his right hand began to accuse him. Then verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. So here the angel of the Lord then takes the title of Jehovah, Yahweh, Yohevah, the Tetragrammaton. Isn't that significant? Who else can take the title of Jehovah except being deity? And except you are equal. And as you learned before in our Trinitarian debate, that you learn that the Father claims the title of Jehovah. The Father claims that title. Jesus claims that title. And so does the Holy Spirit. And right here, you see in the Old Testament, when people want to show you who is Jesus in the Old Testament, where is Jesus, where is the Holy Ghost? Well, you see Jesus right here. And the word angel simply means messenger. That doesn't always mean that they are seeing a six-winged creature. As a matter of fact, the seraphim and cherubim are different types of creatures that may be considered angels, but these angels that come and meet with man are not six-winged creatures. These come in the form of man, like the two angels that came with Yahweh, the Lord, on the plains of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. Well, there we know that the Lord is Jehovah and the two angels are angels. But they don't have six wings like you see in Isaiah chapter 6. So who is the angel of the Lord here? It's the messenger of the Lord. See, whenever God has spoke face to face with man, whenever God has dealt with man, it's always been through Jesus. There is only one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. That's what the uh, New Testament says. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see. And so you know what's so neat? I wish I could show it to you right here. Um, in the New World Translation of the Bible, the Jehovah Witnesses Bible, they cannot allow this to happen. So you know what they insert into their brackets? They have this right here. It says, the Lord, uh, verse 2, and then in brackets, the angel of the Lord said to Satan, they cannot allow the text itself to speak for itself. Matter of fact, somebody go to the online quickly, 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 and pull up the New World Translation of the Bible, and I will show it to you right now. Where is Adolfo? Adolfo, come quickly and go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2 in the New World Translation, and I will show it to you how this proves the deity if not of Jesus, because his name is not mentioned, the angel of the Lord. And I can prove that to you in so many other places, but did you all see that right there? Did you all see that? Now, we know that Jehovah Witnesses cannot accept that, so what do they have to put in this place? They have to try to divert the angel of the Lord into this passage. They have to uh, put it in there. 
It's not going to be on there. New World Translation. Google search it if you don't know how to go to a Jehovah Witness Bible. Listen to what I'm saying, brother. New World Translation. Zechariah chapter 3. What does that prove to us in this passage? If you were a Jew and you were living in the time of Zechariah and you were reading this, you would understand that the angel of the Lord is Jehovah. The angel of the Lord is Jehovah. Right there. And so that would mean you could go back through all of your texts and begin to see the angel of the Lord and say, oh, that's Jehovah. Go back to Judges when Gideon meets with the angel of the Lord. Go back to Judges. I'm going to find the passage for you here as we're waiting to hear our brother say that he has that ready. You finally have it ready? Thank you. Look at what they had to put in Zechariah chapter 3. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, the angel of, in brackets, do you see that right there? Then the angel of Jehovah said to Satan, But the phrase, the angel of, is not there. Do you understand why the Jehovah Witnesses had to put that in brackets? Do you all see this right here? Do you all see this? Do you see why they had to put that in brackets right there? Why do they have to put that in brackets? Because it wouldn't be their doctrine. If it says that the Jehovah now says to Satan... That now means that the angel of the Lord is Jehovah. Y'all need to read your Bible this morning. I'm looking at a bunch of blank faces. Do y'all read your Bible? Do y'all understand the Bible? Do y'all understand what you're reading? Do y'all not get what you're seeing right now? Y'all looking at me with blank faces. Zechariah chapter 3 teaches the deity, the Jehovah nature of the angel of the Lord. Elizabeth, don't look at me. Look at the screen. The Jehovah witnesses know that. And he proceeded to show Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Jehovah and standing at his right hand in order to resist him. So right there we know the angel of the Lord is right there in front of Satan. There he is. That's the character. It's the angel of the Lord. There he is. And then now, then Jehovah said to Satan. So who's speaking now? Jehovah. But they can't allow that to be Jehovah, the deity. They have to say that's the angel of Jehovah. Because if they claim that the angel of Jehovah now is Jehovah speaking, they have a problem. Y'all just want to be to bless you with some message from John 3.16 this morning. Y'all want to learn from Zechariah about how Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at Zechariah chapter 3. You're reading your Bible. What was the Bible of the New Testament church, my friends? It was the Old Testament. How are you ever going to be able to become a faithful preacher of God's Word unless you can rightly divide the Scripture and you have a preacher teaching you right now? Now go to the book of Judges. Help us, Holy Ghost. Help them see it, Lord. 
Some of you think today, I think we're living in a, a, a medieval Catholic society where everybody's going to take you at your word that Jesus is Lord. I don't know where you've been preaching, but I've been preaching on the streets for over 14 years, and I can hardly get it out anymore that Jesus is Lord without 50 different arguments, without 20 different disputes of why he's Lord from a Jew to a Muslim to a Jehovah Witness to the skeptic who doesn't even believe that the historical nature of Jesus Christ is even a valid account. That he even existed? Zechariah is a key to you understanding the New Testament. Zechariah is a key to you understanding who your God is. And don't take these things as just being slip-ups. See, the Jehovah Witness knew. See, a Jehovah Witness might be smarter than some of you here today because he knew that that wasn't a slip-up. He knew that if, if that text read without those brackets right there, if those brackets were not there, then it would be beyond a shadow of a doubt that the angel of the Lord is Jehovah. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. If they didn't put those brackets there, your average Jehovah witness would read that passage, show up to their elder, and say, what is this? How is the angel of the Lord Jehovah? But they had to put the brackets in there. Just like the Bible says the veil over the people of Israel is blinded. They couldn't see that the Father was in Jesus in full form right there in front of them. They couldn't see it. And yet you say, okay, well, Pastor, I already believe it. But do you know why you believe it? It comes from your word. It comes from Zechariah. This is not even my text. I'm just disappointed with the blank stares and you not being able to comprehend and logically think through the passage and what it was saying. Now I have to divert and digress into the subject of the angel of the Lord so that you will be taught these things. And hopefully those by way of internet are receiving the rebuke as well. Go to uh, the story of Gideon in Judges. Who has the chapter as I'm looking for it right now? Chapter 6, thank you. Again, the Israelites, verse 1, did the evil in the eyes of the Lord for seven years. He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. He caused the power of Midian to oppress them. Okay, so this is what's going on. The Israelites are crying out to the Lord. Now look at right here in verse 11. The, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was. So who came? The angel of the Lord. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to him? Now, look, he said, but the Lord abandoned us. The Lord turned to him and said, verse 14. Oh, y'all didn't even get it. Lord, help me. I feel like sitting down the mic and having nap time right now. Are y'all reading your Bible? Do you not understand what that means? You cannot switch Jehovah with anybody. That's blasphemy. You cannot say that all of a sudden Joe is speaking, then the Lord says, uh, I, I say the Lord says, like, I'm the Lord right now. And it doesn't say that the Lord is speaking through the angel of the Lord like some form of prophecy. No, the Lord turned to him and said, the Lord turned to him. The angel of the Lord who appeared to him is now taking the very authority in the Scripture as Yahweh turning to him and commanding him. Oh, Lord, help our church understand the angel of the Lord. The Lord turned to him and said, and go in strength. 
Verse 15, but Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? The Lord answered, who's talking now? The Lord. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Strike down the Midianites. And the Lord said again in verse 18, I will wait. I will wait until you return. Then verse 20, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and do all of this. Um, and then it goes back, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that that was the angel of the Lord, he explained, O sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Why is it when the angel of the Lord shows up that he takes the very name of Yahweh? Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was in His nature, deity. In His nature, Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Lord. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. That Jesus Christ is the God of the Israelites. He is the one who shows up and meets with people. And he speaks on behalf of his Father in the Godhead. He claims the title of Yahweh. Going back now to Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him the lord said to satan the lord rebuke you see the authority coming from his own name he's speaking his own name as authority the lord who has chosen jerusalem rebuke you is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire now let's go into the passage i haven't got to the text lord help me today this give you understanding here joshua is now the new high priest of the land of israel zechariah is getting a prophetic word about his role in re, uh, returning the israelites back to their worship of god he says that in this vision he sees that satan is trying to attack the leader joshua how true is that today in every part of our lives that the, the satan will always attack the leader that if Satan can knock down the leader, then the vision fails. If Satan wanted to bring down Metro Praise, he attacks my wife and I. If he wants to bring down SUM, he attacks Chancellor No. Whenever Satan wants to bring down a ministry, a vision, a, um, a divine move of God, what does he attack? He attacks the leaders. So he sees Joshua standing by the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. Where else do you see Satan accusing? In Job chapter 1, 1 through 9, you see that Job is being accused by Satan, that the only reason why he worships God is because God does all of these things for him. Now turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. You see that Satan continually not only accuses men like Job and Joshua, leaders, but he also accuses all of the believers. He also accuses all of the believers. Re Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now I have come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers, who you accuse them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Oh, and then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. 
So not only will Satan go after the leadership to strike down a vision, to strike down a church, but Satan will go after every person who considers himself a believer in Christ. So here's the lesson out of these first first verses. You will never go unattacked by Satan. You are going to be Satan's worst enemy. Why? Because you're a leader and you're a believer in Christ. And as we know historically that when the people were being attacked, when they were trying to rebuild the temple in the walls of Jerusalem, God continued for, provided provision and he provided favor and protection so that they could fulfill the vision of building these walls. And Joshua was protected. But as you can see, where did the earthly attack originate from? Why did the people hate the Jews after the Babylonian captivity? Why does Satan today, uh, why are people hating the church today? Where does the physical attack come from? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Powers and principalities and high places. Where does our battle come from? Satan. So who filled the enemies of God with the hatred in their heart to hate the Jewish people? Satan did. Satan was attacking the Jewish people. Who filled uh, Hitler's heart to hate the Jewish people? Who fills the heart right now of the Muslims to persecute the Christians? Come on, who fills the atheist heart to attack the Christians and to mock them in the public arena, whether it be in entertainment or whether it be in the high schools or junior highs? Who is behind these physical attacks? It is Satan who is the accuser of the brothers. And if you look at Revelation being an event yet to happen, you can still see that this accusing may be going on right now. That somehow Satan still may be accusing. Now some say that after the resurrection maybe he was cast down. But I want you to understand this. No matter where he is in his place but to God right now, he is still accusing us. He is still bringing accusations against us. But you want to know what the good news is about this? Is that while you have somebody accusing you, while you have an accusation being hurled at you, you have an advocate standing next to you. And you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We know that Jesus Christ had to satisfy the wrath of God. Not only did Jesus die on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, but he did it to silence the mouth of the accuser. Sometimes people get this backwards and they say, oh, Jesus had to die to free us from the devil. That's only partly true, but the worst part about it was not what the devil was doing to us, but what God himself said he had to do to us because of his justice. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. There's no rest for the wicked. For God to be a just God, every sinner needed to be damned and condemned to hell. And so Jesus had to rescue us, not first from the devil, but had to rescue us from the wrath of God. But the part that is true is that we do have an accuser that Satan has come alongside and said, look at your creation. Look at how they're fallen. Look what they deserve. You know, impute to them the wrath that they deserve. But Jesus says, shut up, devil. I love them. I'll come and save them. The Father sends the Son. The Son comes and the Holy Spirit um, enacts redemption. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Now, does this make sense to you going back to Zechariah 3? Because who is it that rebukes Satan? 
It is the angel of the Lord who is Jesus Christ who has the very nature of Jehovah and he uses the very power of Jehovah and says, Satan, I rebuke you. He defends us. He enables us not only to live for him and to live righteously, but he defends us when we fall. When you fall in sin and you feel ashamed and embarrassed and you don't think you can come to the throne of God the Father, Jesus says, I am your defense. He says, I don't want you to sin. That's what John said. I don't want you to go out here and intend to live a life of sin. But if you do sin, Jesus will defend you. What does that say? That no weapon formed against you can prosper. Because God is in control. And that was what the promise was to Joshua, the high priest, is that Satan may be attacking you, Joshua. You may be trying to bring the people of Israel back to worship, back to a temple, back to Jerusalem to serve God. And you're seeing all of these physical attacks, but it's really Satan behind it. And I, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, am there with you rebuking Satan. That is what it was giving encouragement to that man at that time. Zechariah was giving that encouragement. How would you like right now, Adolfo, to hear that the angel of the Lord is defending you before the Father and defending you against the attacks of Satan? Wouldn't that encourage you that you could be a youth pastor? Here I saw the youth pastor of Elevate, uh, Pastor Adolfo, and there Satan was accusing him. But the angel of the Lord came before Satan on behalf of, of Adolfo and said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick that's from the fire? What that means is that the judgment of God came and cooked the people like a furnace and cooked out all of the impurities. And now he is saying he's being taken out of the fire of judgment and now going to be a tool in my hand. He's been proven. She has gone through adversity and trials. And yes, it was because of their mistakes or her mistakes. But now I'm going to use them in my hand. And so what it says is no matter what you've gone through, if you're on God's side, if you're with the Lord, he will defend you and even use the most horrible situations of your life for his good that's what the captivity was to them now moving on to verse 3 now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel the angel said to those who were standing before him take off his filthy clothes then he said to Joshua see I have taken away your sin I will put rich garments on you then I said put a turban on his head so they put a turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by here you see what exactly redemption looks like. What does salvation look like when the devil's been rebuked? It is a cleansing, a washing, a new garment being put on. Why was Joshua there with filthy clothes? Because he represented the filth of Israel. He represented it from the leadership on down. That if the priest is filthy, then everybody else is filthy. But here comes the angel of the Lord and cleansing him and washing him and making him new in the sight of the people. And then I love Zechariah. He sees the the picture complete of a priest, but he's missing his top hat, his turban. And Zechariah just shouts out, hey, put a turban on that man. Let the authority now be sealed that he is from head to toe dressed as the high priest of Israel. Now look at what Revelation promises you and I. Not only the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.17, that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, but old, all things have become new. But Revelation also promises us that on that day of redemption that we shall be clothed in white, that all of our sins shall be taken away once and for all. Look at Revelation chapter 2, I believe. 
or rather chapter 3, chapter 3 of Revelation, look what he says to the Laodicea church. We know that they are filthy, just as uh, Joshua and the people were filthy before God because of all of their sin. Yet look at this church, how bold they are in their sin. Verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. So here, does that not sound like many people of the today? Here they are filthy in their sin. They go to church, they are in leadership at church, ordaining homosexuals, approving of abortion, approving of perversion from the pulpit. And here they are claiming, I'm okay. Like Joshua, they're really filthy, but they're saying, I'm okay, because of their sin, they're deceived. And yet, this is what God says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Isn't that how you think that Joshua would have looked before Jehovah on that day? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich and white clothes to wear so you may cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me What a promise to every single one of us today that if you hear the knocking of Jesus Christ, that you too can be cleansed just as Joshua the high priest was cleansed. And not only for Joshua, but for a nation that is in sin. If my people who are called by my name would turn from their wicked ways and pray, humble themselves and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Put a turban on their head. Dress them in righteousness. God can save America. God can save the nations as he was doing symbolically through the life of Joshua, the high priest in this vision. Then in verse 6, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the, the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements... Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here, among these standing here. What is this a promise of? That if you obey me, I will bless you. Do you not see this same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings and the curses? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where we get the understanding of why Israel was judged to begin with. He told him in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you follow my words, if you keep my commands, these blessings will come upon you. But if you don't, you will be destroyed. And so here, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations in the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Blessed when you come and when you go, oh, oh, come on, but keep on going. Now, go to verse 15. However, now this should mess with you right here. God tells you the blessings in 14 verses. He's going to tell you the curses in over 50 verses. Why do you think Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven, Davi? Do you think because he's a sadistic God and just wants to talk about sick things? The reason why he talked more about hell than he did about heaven is because he doesn't want us to go there. 
He wants to scare the hell out of us. He wants to tell you, look, it will be good if you serve me. But if you don't, worms won't die in your flesh. They will crawl in and out. You will gnash your teeth. You will gnaw your tongue. The fire will not go out. You will be in a bottomless pit all by yourself. And you will have remembrance of every time you rejected me. That's what he says about hell. And what does he say about heaven? There's a mansion up there for you. Where I am, you will be also. And why is it here the same thing in Deuteronomy verses 1 through 14? There are the blessings, but the curses go from 15 all the way to verse 68. He says, however, verse 15 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees, I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed when you come and when you go, oh, oh. Hello? Zechariah, the charge was to him was to be obedient. Do we see that charge in the New Testament? To be obedient to God so that we can be blessed and not suffer under the, the, the curse of sin and the devil? Absolutely. Go to John. Go to John chapter 14. One of the best ways to look at obedience to Jesus and to his word. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, looking at verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will what? Obey my teaching. Does that sound like the angel of the Lord talking to you? In the authority and the nature of Yahweh? That sounds pretty, pretty real. It, he does not say, everybody look up at me. Jesus could not be a prophet. He did not say, obey the teachings of God. He said, obey my teachings. Does that not sound like the angel of the Lord? speaking in the voice of Yahweh, the great God of Israel. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. Why? Because he's God. He can say, obey me. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear me, are uh, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And then we see that the Holy Spirit will take his words that he gets from the Father and then speak them unto the church. Hence the New Testament. Where did it come? The Holy Spirit. Where did the Holy Spirit get it? Jesus. And where did Jesus get it? From the Father. So from the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit to you. Shikaboomba. Amen. That's how it works. Obey the Lord and he will bless you. And for the specific promise of uh, Joshua, the high priest, looking at verse 7 of chapter 3, says, if you walk in my requirements, keep my ways, you will govern my house. How many here want to be leaders in God's house? You want to be leaders in the house of God? You want to be leaders in youth groups and crossover and missionary and church planning? And you want to be a leader? Here's how you're a leader in the house of God. You keep his requirements. You obey the teachings of Jesus. And then what he says is, I will give you a place among these standing here. And these are not mentioned specifically, but different commentators have um, uh, different views on who these can be. These standing here could be the people of God that he's looking at. 
these standing here could be the vision that Zechariah is seeing of the other patriarchs who have already preceded him. And he's in the cloud of witnesses. And he's saying, hey, if you want to be like Abraham, do this. You want to be like Moses, do this. If you want to have a place among these, do this. And does not kind of say the same thing in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. How much more should you and I look back at the testimonies of Peter and Paul and James and John, all the way back to Abraham and Noah, and if we want to have a place among these, we follow God. We obey His commands. We live according to His Word. Do you want a place among the hall of faith? Or do you want to be in the hall of shame with fallen pastors and televangelists? Do you want to sell out your soul for 30 seconds in a hotel room, fellas? Ladies, do you want to sell out your soul and your calling just to have somebody think you're cute and whistle at you and take you on a rendezvous to Hawaii? Come on. Do you want to sell out your calling for ten shekels and a shirt to have a big church? Or do you want to follow the requirements of God? And even like Noah, if it costs you everything, you'll be obedient. Why? Because Zechariah was promised by, to Joshua, if you do these things, you'll have a place among these. Glory to God standing here. Verse 8. Now, to the text. That was the introduction. Help us, Lord. The branch. You all remember the message on the branch? That, that's what I came to preach on. That, that was the introduction. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. See, what I love is when the prophet tells me what it means, okay? So right here we learn that Joshua has people before him, and they are symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. Somebody say, the branch. See, I told you about ready to read something that will freak out a Jew, a Muslim. They have got to deal with this. I'm going to send my servant the branch. Verse 9. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Did you read that? He says, I will remove the sin of this people in a single day. Now, you might have said, well, they already had the Day of Atonement. They already had that one time once a year where the priest went into the high place of pride, the blood through the hyssop to the Ark of the Covenant. But this cannot be that day because he's saying in that day. We can have a Day of Atonement right now, but that's not that day. Those days have already passed. But he's pointing to the future of a servant being called a branch in that he will have seven spirits like seven eyes upon him as a stone and on that day he will remove the sin of Israel in one moment in one day come on somebody I will remove the sin of this land in a single day that's how bad God is he's a bad mama chama he don't have to take two days he's going to do it in one day then in that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine. Who's his vine? The branch. You're going to sit under his vine in fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, who is this branch? We know, of course, it is the branch, Jesus Christ. 
But I want you to see that other prophets also use this same language and that Zechariah is borrowing from them, from Isaiah and Jeremiah. So go to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's build up the context of the branch a little bit before we go to the New Testament and reveal how he is the branch and why he's the branch and how it relates to us today. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I have to move quickly. Starting in verse 2, in that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Do you see right there that Isaiah, who came about 250 years before Zechariah, says that in that day the branch is going to come. So now do you understand that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, the prophets are confirming each other. Isaiah had said it earlier, and Zechariah is coming. He's saying, hey, it's that, that man, that branch, that servant, it's still happening. Don't forget about what old Isaiah told you. Now go to Jeremiah chapter uh, 23. Jeremiah just... A uh, hundred years or so before Zechariah, a couple hundred after Isaiah. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 23 says. Jap- uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And Jeremiah declares, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live live safely, and this will be his name, which he shall be called the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Shekinah. Jehovah Shekinah, our righteousness. So not only do we see that this servant, oh, y'all got to get this. Not only is the branch a servant, but he's also a what? He's a king. Now do you understand why the Jews probably got it all messed up and twisted? They only saw the king coming. They didn't see the servant coming. Oh, y'all got to get that this morning. They didn't understand Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Just go there. Isaiah 53. And see what he's called in this context, that he is a suffering servant. All they saw him coming at was a king. But if they would have put together the the, the prophecies of the branch, they would have learned that the branch, that is a servant. Well, you could say a king's a servant in the same way. But if you would have connected the servant to Isaiah 53, you would have no way to get around the fact that this servant is going to suffer. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. He's going to grow up. Look at verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. There you go. There's the connections. There's the branch. But now it's going to go on, and it's going to say that he is a servant, that he is serving the Lord. Keep going. He was despised, rejected among men. Uh, he took our sorrows, pierced for our iniquity. We like sheep were all latest um gone astray but the lord laid on him the iniquity of us all verse 8 by oppression and judgment he was taken away and can who can speak of his descendants he was cut off you guys know this very well but look at it right here verse 10 yet it was the lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and through the lord and though the lord makes his life a guilt offering he will see his offspring, and prolong his days. And the hand of the Lord will prosper in him. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous, my righteous 
servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Woo! Come on, somebody. He will take the sin of the people in one day. He is not only a servant, but he is also a king. How could they not understand this? I'm not trying to say I'm better than the Jews of Jesus' day. But it was there. It was all in front of them. It was staring them right in the eye that this branch must come like a tender shoot grown up out of the land of Israel. A king unto David. But he must come and suffer before he brings his kingdom. Why? Because he has to remove the sin of the land and bring nations to himself, which was just said in Zechariah chapter 2, that he will bring the nations. Because if he would have come as that conquering king only, and we would have skipped the part of the branch that's the servant, that righteous servant who suffers, none of us would have been saved. And so all these people who have problems with Jesus actually are denying the very messianic nature of who he is. The Jews say he couldn't have been the Messiah because the Messiah would come and rule as a king. No, he had to come and be a servant to be the Messiah. He had to do that. If he would have come and just been a king, he would have denied all of these prophecies. And for the Muslims to say, well, how can man become God and dwell among us? And how could God die? And how could God, uh, you know, allow people to kill him if he's God? He can't die. You see, they miss the entire nature of who Jesus was. He had to come as a man to be the righteous servant, to be the Lamb of God. Because only a pure, spotless Lamb could be an acceptable sacrifice. So the very reason that they used to deny Jesus, oh, that couldn't be God, that couldn't be our Messiah, the very reasons they used are found right in their scriptures. And even for the Muslim Zechariah, who they acknowledge as a prophet, that he must be in the form of man. And he must come as a servant who is a king. Why did he ride on a donkey into Jerusalem the day, uh, the days before his crucifixion with branches laid out before him? Hosanna, Hosanna, who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because he was a king. But he said to uh, Pilate, why don't you defend yourself? He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. You see, he had to establish an inner kingdom in the hearts of men. People were pointing and saying, when's the kingdom of God coming? He says, it's not here or there. It's in you. He had to come and bring a kingdom within before he set the kingdom without. Before he brought judgment upon this earth, he had to be the king of hearts. Zechariah chapter 3, go back to it. I'm getting excited. Are you with me? Zechariah chapter 3, he says that, um, uh, he says, verse 9, or just look at verse 8, rather, the last part. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. You've just seen that the branch is a servant right here. You learn. Also in Isaiah, that he is a servant, but he comes from the shoot of David, a little bit more specific. And then in Jeremiah 23, you learn that not only does he come from David, but he's also a king. And then you go to Isaiah 53, he comes up like a tender shoot, but he is a suffering servant. So he'll send the servant. Now, how is the description of this servant? Remember, Zechariah seeing a vision in heaven. He's seeing the angel of the Lord, okay? He's seeing the glory of God. That's where he is seeing the vision. See the stone I set in front of Joshua? Who do you think that stone is, Eddie Berto? 
Come on, who do you think the rock is? Jesus. See, I set a stone in Zion, rejected by the builders. Oh, come on, we're going to get to that. See, I have set a stone in front of Joshua. Now look right here, look at what he sees. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it. You want to see what he's seeing? Go ahead to Revelations right now. Uh, Chapter 1. Uh, verse 4 and Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 you see he's seen how the Lamb of God how Jesus appears in heaven with these seven eyes or seven spirits as you see upon the stone let's look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 to the seven churches in the providence of Asia grace and peace to you from him who is who was and is to come from the seven spirits before his throne Benny Hinn got off into a heresy and taught that there wasn't a trinity, that there was like a quadrinity, that there was the Father and the Son and then seven spirits. It would be like nine, nine-inity. He went off into a heresy. There is only one Holy Ghost with seven manifestations. Go now to Revelations chapter 5, verse 6. That's why you got to read the Bible to read the Bible. Come on. You got to understand it in its context. Now look at the lamb right here. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne and thrown by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are what, my friend? The seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Isn't that what Zachariah saw? The stone with the eyes, which represent the spirits of God. Now, what are those seven manifestations of the spirit? You've got to go back to the prophecies of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 11 to see what those spirits are. If you're learning the word, say, I'm learning. Come on, if you're having a good time, say, preach it. Praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11. You had already been here, and just in case you thought it was out of context, now you know it's right in context because you've already been here. 11 verse 1, the shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the same one that, that we talked about before. That's the same one that Zacharias talked about. It almost looks like it's moving exactly in order. There comes a branch, and then there comes a stone. Seven spirits will tell us, Isaiah, who is that branch and what spirit does he have upon him? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, number one. The spirit of wisdom, number two. The spirit of understanding, number three. The spirit of counsel, number four. The spirit of power, number five. The spirit of knowledge, number six. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord, number seven, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That is Jesus, the branch, coming up from the lineage of David, coming up from the line of the kings, but yet not coming as a conquering king only, though that will come. But as a servant, as a righteous servant, and as we learn in Isaiah 53, a suffering servant. Why? Because he's got to take the sin of the people in one day. That's who your God is. Now let's get to this part about the vine and the branches and how uh, we're going to be under the vine. Going, uh, go back to uh, Zechariah chapter 3 in closing. Lord, give me time. Give me time, Jesus. Make time stand still like you did for Joshua. Come on. Oh, come on. Zechariah chapter 3. In closing, here we go. After he takes, let's go to verse 8. It says, uh, listen, what's seated before you, I will bring a branch. We learn that that's Jesus. 
He has a stone. We know that's, the, uh, that's representing of Christ, 2 Peter 2.4. If you need the quotation of that, 2 Peter 2.4, the, the stone that the people rejected has now become the capstone, the cornerstone. And there are seven eyes on that one stone. We've learned what that is. I will engrave an inscription on it. Uh, that inscription can be his name that no one knows. That, that the Bible says he gets, and at another time, if I don't have time to show you that in Revelation, but it says that he gets a name that nobody knows, then you get a name, written, by the way, written on a stone that nobody knows. And it says that I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. We know that's the cross of Calvary. Now look at verse 10, which I wanted to actually talk about today, but I just don't have time. It says, in that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Now go to John 15. I am the vine. And you are the branches. But isn't the vine technically a branch to itself if it grows up out of the ground? It could be considered the same thing. So what you see here is that what Christ becomes in himself is the branch of Israel. And then what he becomes to everybody else is the vine. And then when we become his branches, meaning he grows up, he's that tender shoot and he grows up, he grows up. He takes redemption. Uh, He takes on sin. He brings redemption. That's the branch. There it is. Now his branch becomes a vine that has multiple branches on it. Branch singular saves the world. Branch becomes vine. Plural branches bring the redemption meshes to the world. And the world sits under that vine and its branches. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope for this fallen society, John 15. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He who cuts off a branch in me, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear, uh, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch by itself, uh, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches, plural. If a man remains in me. And I am him. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The branch becomes a vine and makes branches. And we become a part of his body. He's the head. We're the body of Christ. We're married to him as the bride of Christ, the church. And people come and sit under his vine. Didn't it say that they sit under his vine and his fig tree? His vine and his fig tree. You could say the vine is the church and the fig tree is the house of Israel. That's maybe debatable by some, but I'll sum them up together. It's the church and the chosen people of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a part of that today? Do you want to bear fruit in the branch? Do you want him to spread out his branches through you to this world so that you can bear much fruit? Do you know that bearing fruit is not an option? And I'm not talking about comparing yourself one to another, saying, well, you know, if I have 20 souls saved and this one has five souls saved, I'm doing less. No, each one needs to do what the Lord has called them to do individually. You, Josh, will not be compared to Adam or Billy Graham. You will be judged by the life that God has given you and by the commands and the opportunities he's given you. 
If you're not preaching before 50,000 today, how can God hold you accountable for 50,000? But God can hold you accountable to the person at the grocery store line. God can hold you accountable to the friend that you have that used to be at your house all the time, but you don't hang out anymore, and God's putting them on your heart to give them a call. You understand what I'm saying? See, God's going to hold you accountable for that. But the bottom line is, not in comparison in numbers, not much fruit, meaning thousands versus hundreds. No, much fruit being every person here bearing fruit and winning souls for Jesus Christ. Some people say that the vine's fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That can be also considered fruit. Fruit can be the lives that are changed. But I love how he puts in that context in John 14. Ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you so that it will bear much fruit and bring glory to my Father. So what do you think you could ask of the Lord more than anything else that would bring glory to God the Father? Come on, what do you think? How about asking for souls? He said, ask of me for the nations as your inheritance. In closing today, if you want to be a leader, you must be ready for the attacks of Satan. As we learned in Jeremiah, or rather Zechariah chapter 3, you will be attacked by Satan. The next thing that you learn is that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. He is Jehovah in the person of the Son, and He is your advocate. He stands before the Father and rebukes Him, even if you have failed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, I write this to you that no man would sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the righteous one, who stands before the Father, who is an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the world. And then you see in the life of Joshua, the high priest representing Israel, can be to you your personal life and the lives of the people around you in this nation, that if Jesus says be clean, you will be clean. And if you ask to be cleansed, you will be cleansed. And God will give you the authority, the headship, to be in the ministry even despite your sins and your shortcomings. Even despite Israel and all their shortcomings, God still used them to be leaders. Don't let sin take you out of the race. Can Repent of it and be transformed. And then you learn that the Lord Almighty sets requirements before you. That He says, if you do these things, you will rule my people. It's not worth compromising over to lose the leadership that God has given you. I remember one time Pastor Grogan looked into my eyes at a leadership meeting. He's been a pastor for over 30 years, has a wife and two beautiful children that are both in the ministry. He looked at me, tears coming down his eyes, and he says, I dare not ever commit adultery. I couldn't stand the pain it would cause you. Or the pain it would cause my family. Let that be the cry of our heart. We can't break God's laws willingly. We cannot live a life of sin willingly. If we stumble and fall, Lord, help us pick us up. But we can't continue in sin because we know as leaders that people are watching a doubtful. Every single person here in this church, I know people already are looking up to you. People are hearing you worship and sing songs, being in the band. And if you should fall, you would bring reproach and shame unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But you say, Pastor, I'm not perfect. Well, that's why there's the provision of the cleansing. The cleansing that just came before. Grace is not only to forgive your sin, it's to keep you from sin. Call upon God and His grace will help you and keep His requirements. Jesus saying, if you love me, you obey my teachings. And in verse 8, we learn that if you want to stand among these great people, the people of the past, the great hall of faith, you must live righteously. And we see the prophecy then of the branch coming, who we know is not only a king, but he's also a servant. Aren't you glad he came as a servant for you and me? Aren't you glad he didn't come riding on a white horse 2,000 years ago and lay this place bare? 
And the Bible says that he has seven eyes on that stone, and that is the foundation of the church, the manifestation of the seven, uh, the seven manifestations of the one spirit of God, wisdom and power and the fear of the Lord and righteousness. Come on. Let that manifestation be in your life today. Let wisdom and power and fear go over those uh, scriptures, uh, those manifestations in Isaiah chapter 11 and ask God to manifest every single one of them. Don't just ask for the nine fruits of the Spirit, which is character, and don't just ask for the nine gifts of the Spirit, which is charisma, but also ask for the nine qualities, the nine qualities of the Spirit, the quality, the qualified nature of what the Spirit is. And He will remove and has removed the sin of the people in one day. What a gospel message to proclaim. Hey, Muslims, all of your good works count for nothing. He took your sin in one day. It's good news. All of you Jews being kosher, have some lechon and bacon and a ham sandwich. Why? Because he's taken the sin of the people in one day. And have a lobster while you're at it and some crawfish. And then the Bible says in that day each one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. Are you inviting your neighbors to church? And I say church, I don't just mean a building. I mean, are you inviting them to the ecclesia, the called out people of God? Are you inviting people to come to the ark of God, which is his body of Christ here, the protection in this dire place, to receive good fruit, to make it through this long journey? The words of God are preached in his church. The gifts are manifested through his church. Accountability and love for one another and prayer is done through the church. The Bible says in James, if you're sick, pray in the church with the elders and leadership, presupposing that there's a qualifying uh, measure which a leader is measured by to be the one who prays. And so therefore bring your neighbors to a church with godly leadership who can pray in the time of suffering and rejoice and to see sick people healed. And let us go out and spread these branches from the one branch who's become a vine to the world. Let's change the world for Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Praise God. And next time, don't come sleepy to the chapel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you are the branch. Lord, I thank you by your grace. As Leilani comes, come on, we're going to thank him right now for taking our sin in one day. We're going to thank him for cleansing us, for washing us clean, putting salve in our eyes, dressing us in white. Come on, Jesus, we thank you for being the righteous servant who suffered for us. Lord, I thank you today for redemption. Come on, thank God for the cross today. Jesus, where would we be without the cross? Where would we be without the branch? Where would we be, oh God, without our sins being taken in one day? Hallelujah. Oh, great advocate, our lawyer before the Father plead our case today in our weaknesses. Come on, not only do we thank God for our sins that have been forgiven, we thank Him that today our sins can be forgiven. 
Come on, ask God to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Come on, some of us, we sin daily. We struggle daily. Maybe not intentionally, but you do. Come on, ask God to cleanse you today. Ask Him to take away your sin. Hallelujah, Lord. Wash us clean today, O Lord. Make us a holy people.